I don't know if any of you here know any magicians, or maybe some of you here are magicians. I don't know. I don't know a lot of them, but I know one. A good friend of mine's husband is a magician. And one time he was interviewed about his act. He's not a professional, he's an amateur, but he's good enough that he goes out on the streets of Chicago and does his stuff, especially, well, maybe not this year, but you can imagine in years of busyness up and down Michigan Avenue. So he's pretty good. But one time he was interviewed about being a magician, and he said one of the hardest things to do is to do magic for a really young child. It's hard to do magic for really little kids. And I thought, well, I'd almost think it might be easiest. He said, no. You know, they, they just kind of take it all in stride. If you pull a rabbit out of a hat, they just want to play with the rabbit. They're not that impressed. And he said, first you have to learn what's possible before you can appreciate what's impossible. And if you think about it, that makes a lot of sense. First, you have to learn what's possible before you can appreciate the impossible. In some way, our readings tonight give us two little windows into what's possible and what's impossible. And a lot of times, I know we're used to the phrase, nothing is impossible for God, comes out of tonight's gospel. And we would all sort of nod our heads, but if you're like me, I'm very well-schooled in what is possible. I'm well-schooled in how you achieve the possible, or at least how you strive for it. I'm well aware of where my limits are, and I'm aware of who can transcend those limits. Oh, they're able to do it. And I can talk about the impossible, but really, in some sense, it's the possible where we spend most of our lives and give most of our attention. So when I say that both readings, not just the gospel, gets at that, our first reading does in a very pragmatic kind of way. And I'm a little bit saddened by the fact that in the reading we have, we sort of pick and choose. So I know we don't have worship aids here. Most of you don't have them. It's from the second book of Samuel. And it's a really important passage, especially in the light of this year with COVID. And I'll I'll tell you why in a second. But basically, David is king. Okay, so talk about the possible and the impossible. He starts out as this little kid. He's not the son of a king. There's no reason to expect he'll ever be a king. Not something that seemingly would be possible for him. But God says, you're the one. And he gets chosen and he gets groomed and he does pretty well for himself. But then he starts thinking. The temple hasn't been built yet. They're carrying the ark around in a tent. Kind of think of our tabernacle, right? Every church you go into, there's this beautiful tabernacle. What if we just carried around the Blessed Sacrament in a tent? And this is bothering David. And so he says one day, you know, God, you need a great temple. It's not worthy of your glory that we're carrying you around in a tent. And so he says that to God. And God basically says, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but don't be so arrogant. Did I tell you that I wanted a temple? You've decided on my behalf that I'm offended? Don't build a temple. If you build a temple, all it's going to do is feed your own ego. Now, if you listen to the first reading tonight, you might think I'm stretching it a bit. But here's what we actually got. It's from chapter 7 of the second book of Samuel. But what we read was verses 1 through 5, 
Then we skip to the second half of verse 8, not the first half, not verses 6 and 7. We read the second half of verse 8 to verse 12. Then we read the first half of verse 14. And then we read verse 16. Wouldn't you love to know all the juicy parts in those three and a half verses? But this is a family mass, so... But it's in there that you get this exchange. And the only reason I'm bothering to tell you all of that is because it's the perfect foil to Mary. It's the perfect foil to the one who says, I know what's possible. I know what's possible, God. Now, we should give you glory in this way. And God's saying, no, I want you to accept the impossible. David could have accepted the impossible. He could have gone through his entire life with the great glory of God being carried around in an old tent. But that didn't fit his definition of possible. And he used every ounce of power and authority he had. And while he was a really great king, sooner or later that power and his ego got in the way in a very terrible way. And so there's Mary. I mean, please don't just think of this as some miraculous, you know, bending of the laws of biology or physics. Yes, of course, the virgin birth, it's extraordinary. But at the end of the day, what it's really about is not just Mary, but Joseph and anyone who cared to stay with them in their circle of friends and family. It's about them being able to say, can I release my demand on what is possible? in order to make room for the impossible. Because the impossible usually doesn't force itself down our throats. If you're going to sit there and watch a magician, you're the one who has to ultimately decide what's going on here. And if you want to, you can just not stop along the street when you see what's going on, or you can somehow just refuse to believe what your own eyes have told you. And I would like to suggest that for every single one of us in this room tonight, there's some challenge, some pressure on our sense of the possible. And it's not going to be as dramatic as what we see in our gospel tonight, I would presume, for most of us. But it's going to be a challenge to what we've learned is possible. What's possible in the relationships in our families or with those who used to be our friends? Are we getting that nudge in our own personal enunciation? And I would argue that every one of us in this room either recently has had or will have an enunciation from God, that little prodding, testing the limits of the possible. And what will our response be when those moments come? How could I possibly extend forgiveness to this person? For I have not known them in many months or years? How could I possibly be generous with my time or my affection, for I have not known a job, maybe for many weeks or months? How could I possibly be just a little bit less hard on myself, for I have not seen myself in that way, maybe since I was a child? Little pokings and proddings, God saying, this is the way I want you to see the world. This is the way I want you to imagine you could live your life. And it usually isn't going to be large and dramatic by the world's standards. 
but it can be powerful. And the way you know, the way you tell, am I just talking to myself or is this some other voice? Is this really what God is asking me to do? I'd like to suggest a couple little tests you might apply to that. And the first one to simply say is, is it a voice that's suggesting creativity? And by creativity, I don't mean some, you know, wildly extravagant new thing. But if I follow this nudge, is it really giving life to something that formerly was maybe a little bit lifeless? If I'm being prodded to be forgiving in a relationship where that hasn't been present for a long, long time, that's not simply following some rule that says we should forgive other people. We've always known that. Why in that particular relationship with that particular person, why has that been so hard? And then begin to think, well, if I did, if I took just a baby step towards reconciliation, is there something new, perhaps, that begins to spring up that wasn't there before? And just like Mary, the only way you can know is by taking a baby step in that direction. And the other test you can apply is, does it bring you freedom? Does it bring you a sense of freedom? And again, it's not going from being locked in chains to, you know, flying like an eagle overnight. But sometimes we can be confined by the possible. We can be chained in by the possible. We can be frozen in our creativity, in our sense of love by what we've decided is possible. And if your Annunciation comes tonight or this week, or maybe it came five years ago and it just refuses to go away, if you take just a little step in that direction, even if you're doing it in the face of fear or risk, do you feel a little bit more free? Is it as if something is taken off your shoulders and all of a sudden you begin to see possibilities where you hadn't seen them before? And maybe something that has governed your behavior in a rigid and frozen way begins to relax just a little bit. That's a sign of a real annunciation. And so to just maybe sit with those and with brutal honesty ask yourself, am I hearing that invitation? We know what it looks like for Mary. You can go back and see what it looked like for David. But it looks like something for every single one of us. It kind of makes sense, I guess, that little kids aren't impressed by magic because they haven't necessarily formed already a rigid idea of what is possible. But there's no reason that for us, most of us here, grown men and women, or even young men and women, there's no reason for us to refuse to believe the magical words of Annunciation.